0: I pray that you would receive our worship, that uh, it would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. I pray that our hearts would worship you in full gladness, so, and we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you, the privilege of knowing you through the finished work of Christ. Not today, as we look at your word. I pray you would take our time, change us, and Lord, again, I do pray that you would start with me. It's in Christ's precious name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for mixing it up. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Uh, there's, there's something, I mean, it's really cool to listen. Well, take your Bibles, go to Hebrews 10. Sorry, I'm just dribbling on. Um, <laughs> there's something that certainly that feels holy when we hear God's people sing together. right? And you can hear it and it's just like, there's something, there's something about that moment when that happens. But the same goes for when you can hear the holy hubbub, <laughs> the holy murmuring, the good positive murmuring among God's people as they interact with each other. And, and even if it is just as much as a, ow, that's your name, I knew that. Or, hey, I haven't seen you in weeks. How have you been? I mean, just there's something about that. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning together. In Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going I'm to read pretty much a, a, what you would think is the stereotypical passage Uh, for the topic at hand today about growing with God's people. Um, And and so I think, though, uh, I've learned a lot through this, and so I hope to share and bleed on you a little bit of what God's done in my heart as I've looked through uh, these verses together. So Hebrews chapter 10, I'll start reading verse 19. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus Christ, He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another, to provoke one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, because we are not going through a systematic study of the book of Hebrews, I need to give you a a little bit of background. The author of Hebrews is writing... um, and he's about to apply everything he's been saying up to this point. But before he gets there, he gives us a paragraph that really just kind of captures the heart of his message. And that's what we just read. And uh, just, just be, if I was to boil it down to a simple sentence, what the author of Hebrews is telling us is, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have received an incredible privilege. So in order to understand that privilege... You need to understand what things were like before you had that privilege, right? So in chapter 9 of Hebrews, and we're not going to go through it verse by verse, but the author um, describes what it was like um, before Christ to enter into the presence of God. So what did it take to enter into the presence of God before Jesus Christ? And the answer to that is basically you couldn't. Only the high priest could, and, and that only happened once a year, and it took a ton of work to prepare for it. So, so think about this. Once a year, it was about a week-long process. The high priest uh, would have to be ceremonially bathed in order to be declared clean. So he would remove um, the, the very fancy high priest garments, and instead, after his ceremonial cleansing, he would then put on these very simple, clean, um, linen, humble outfit like anybody would wear, which is very different for the high priest who was usually pretty decked out, okay? So now he's wearing this very simple outfit, and the first thing he does is he offers a bowl as a sin sin offering for himself. The, The picture of the sin offering is to make sure that he is covered for the sins that he has committed both intentionally and unintentionally. And So the high priest, before anything can even happen, is bathed, declared clean, and offers a sacrifice for himself. He then takes some blood and he sprinkles it in the most holy place in front of the mercy seat. The mercy seat really is just the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. It's That, that mercy seat is the place the very presence of God would dwell. And so as he enters into the most holy place, he takes blood and he sprinkles it um, before the mercy seat. Now two goats have been chosen out of the nation. Two goats. They've been brought to the tent of meeting And now the the high priest oversees this um, ceremony where lots are chosen. Basically, think modern-day dice. They would choose lots. And and they would choose between the two goats. One of the goats would definitely not have won one. They picked the lot for this guy, and it's like, all right, so this is our sin offering for the nation of Israel. And so he would take the goat, he would sacrifice it, he would slaughter it, he would spill its blood, he would take some of that blood, and he would pour it on the mercy seat and again in front of the mercy seat. He would then lay his hands on the second goat. He would lay his hands on the head of that goat, and he would pray a prayer of confession confessing the sins of the nation of Israel, confessing that they had fallen grossly short of the, the holiness of God. And he would pray that prayer of confession on the goat, and then they would send that goat into the wilderness, running away. And the picture is that goat would carry the sins of the people out of camp. That goat is what we know as a scapegoat. So in the, right there, you have these amazing pictures of theology happening that that, that I want to geek out over, but I want to be very careful about. You've got the propitiation with the shedding of the blood, where the sacrifice turns the wrath of God into his pleasure. And then you've got expiation, which is the, the carrying away of our sins, which is exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but how do you not get ahead of yourself with that? So that goat goes away. Now, what's crazy is it's all done. The high priest has to again get ceremonially cleansed, so he would bathe again, he would then put on his fancy clothing, he would offer two more rams, one for his burnt offering, which is, a God, I'm committing myself completely to you, as the offering is burnt up, it is fully gone, and, and one for the people of Israel, they're committing themselves completely to you, it's burnt up, and, it, and it's gone, and then the dude who led the goat out into the wilderness comes back, and he has to be cleansed, They gather up all the, I'll call it trash, it's not trash, but all of the trash after the big party, and they would burn all of that, and then the guy who burned the trash has to be ceremonially cleansed. I mean, from beginning to end, you're looking at seven days of nothing but ceremony and work and and, and trying to accomplish what needed to be accomplished. I mean, this was a national holiday. It's it's an awesome event. We we still remember it today. It's called Yom Kippur. It happened September 15th, I think, this year, 15th, 16th, right around there. And on that miraculous day, two profound truths that seem to be contradictory suddenly align. And those truths are this: One, the depths of our sin makes it impossible for us to be in God's presence. Two, the holiness of God makes it impossible for him to tolerate sin. And then suddenly, one day, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, Leviticus 16, spells it all out. One day, those two profound truths that are seemingly at odds suddenly align. God makes a way for one person, just one person, the high priest, just one person, to enter into God's presence on one day, just one day. One day our sinfulness and God's holiness can come together without you and I being destroyed. The author of Hebrews is about to tell us now that happened one day a year. And now, if you are in Jesus Christ, that's every day. Every day. Therefore, you now have confidence to enter God's presence. That's what verse 19 says. Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, since we have boldness, confidence to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has inaugurated, initiated, begun a a new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. We can now have confidence to go into his presence. We have the boldness to speak Freely, no fear, just, just blurting out the words that come out of your mouth to the ears of God. Much like a three-year-old doesn't think, just talks, and daddy hears. Much like thinking that, that um, okay, my sins have, have been dealt with, so I can come into God's presence. I have relationship with God because as God views me, he doesn't view me in my sinfulness. He views me as being washed in the blood of the lamb. He views me as having the very righteousness of Christ. And so I can come boldly into his presence. You have that same boldness to enter into the sanctuary of God. Not boldness like you have a backstage pass and you have the opportunity to go interview him. Access like your three-year-old is just walking into your bedroom to start asking you questions. Do you see what you have in Jesus Christ? But it's not just that boldness that he's given to us. Look at verse 21. We have a great high priest over the house of God. So the priests would come from among the people and they would offer gifts. They would offer sacrifices to God for sin. They were, but there, were, there was a problem with the system. The, the system is the priests themselves were sinners. So, so, so they had to offer sacrifices for themselves as well for the people. Secondly, the priests regularly died small problem need a new priest and and finally it's impossible for anything that that priest could offer as an animal sacrifice to take away the sins of of humankind look look just a a little bit further back in chapter 10 verse 11 let me read this to you i love i love hebrews chapter 10 this this right here is just so so well (laughs) it's kind of funny to say it's so well written you know who the author is, right? Okay, so. So every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever he sat down at the right hand of god he is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified we have this great high priest who, who has offered a perfect sacrifice for our sins he's he's come from among us so he understands us he's sinless he doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself and get this He will never die. We don't need another. The sacrifice he offers will always be accepted by God. So therefore, because we have the boldness to come into God's presence, and because we have a great high priest, the author of Hebrews gives us three things we are to be busy about, starting in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So what he says is, because you have the boldness to enter into his presence, and because you have a great high priest, then you must keep drawing near to him. Keep getting close to him. Keep drawing near to him. I don't want to be creepy, but have you ever, ladies, probably happens to you a little bit more than the gentleman, but have you ever been to a party and some dude just keeps drawing near to you? <laughs> Nobody ever experienced that? It's a little off-putting, isn't it? In fact, think about this. Back in... Um, Exodus chapter 19, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. God has miraculously delivered them. Moses is ascending to Mount Sinai to receive the law from God, to receive his instructions. And God says, tell the people this, do not draw near. Don't come close. Don't even touch the mountain because if you touch the mountain or an animal touches the mountain, they'll die. And now, Jesus Christ, because of the boldness that we have through the finished and final work of Jesus Christ, because he is our great high priest, we are being commanded the exact opposite. Now we are told to draw near. See the dramatic change that comes because of Christ? Does it seem dramatic to you? So Seriously, in, in the quietness of your heart, answer that question. As you compare... the the lack of ability of anybody in the Old Testament to draw near to God, with your ability to draw near to God now because of Jesus Christ, does that seem like a dramatic shift to you? This is why I ask you that question. Many times in life, after extended periods of time, we grow so over-familiar that we forget how amazing and dramatic It actually is. I don't know why this this seems to be my illustration of the day, but um, there's a time in every relationship where (laughs) the fella is like, how in the world is she with me? Right? How in the world am I how has God put blinders on her so she doesn't see what everybody else sees that I see? How in the world is this even possible that she could put up with me long enough just to even go on a date with me? Forget, forget, forget the fact that somehow God deceived her. Oh, not deceived, that's a wrong way to say it. The, somehow, yeah, strike that from the podcast. Somehow, <laughs> and so you know, it's one of those things like it's coming out of my mouth. No. Um, how, how, is it, how is it that God was so gracious to me There we go That he blinded her He caused like a, a momentary affliction Of stupidity to cross over her And I said will you marry me And she said yes And then she went through with it How is that possible See that's how relationships begin And then when you get so used to it It goes on for some time so accustomed to it. (laughs) It happened this week, sitting at, um, I won't say where, sitting at a restaurant, and I'm looking across the dining room, and there's this couple, it's been together for a little while, I'm sure, and just doing this the entire time. (laughs) See, when you become so familiar, you forget what a privilege it is that you have. And you're missing out. Hebrews tells us to draw near to him. Come in close and enjoy that intimacy with God that we were made for. So in light of the fact that you had this new relationship with God, this boldness to come into his presence because of the finished and final work of Jesus Christ and because of the fact that he is our great high priest whose offering will always be sufficient. Then then the author says, then what you need to do is you need to keep drawing near to God, keep drawing near to God, keep drawing near to God. You also need to keep holding on. Verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. The assumption behind that command is it's going to be difficult at times. So hang on. Uh, I don't say, <laughs> very few people actually say, hang on when it's not tricky or difficult. There's been opportunities for my children to hear those very words come from my mouth when I'm driving. Hang on! I don't have time for this, but I'll tell you one funny story. So <laughs> we're coming back from, uh, we were in the Chicago area, and we had taken our youth group up to see Winter Jam in Chicago. It a great time, great concert, wonderful fun. Had the minivan with me, so we packed a bunch of teenage boys in the minivan, and I do not know what happened. I really don't. That's the weird part. But there's a spot in the road where it kind of, it does one of these. And and to go home, we're supposed to go this way. Not this way, this way. But the problem was, I didn't go that way. I certainly didn't go that way. I went this way. And there's a long embankment, and a couple of the guys in the back seat were out cold. A couple of them I was talking to, and all of a sudden it's like, we're going to die. And so I just hollered at the top of my voice, hold on! And then somehow, and I don't know how, minivans aren't exactly the friendliest zigzaggers out there, but somehow the minivan came down, landed, and uh, two things happened. One, well actually a bunch of things happened. (laughs) Uh, The two guys who were asleep in the back seat, all of a sudden their heads were up in the mirror like... And then there was one young man who I still tease about it, screamed, this high-pitched scream... And my favorite part was the whole time that is happening, there's a car behind us about 200 yards. And it it didn't follow this way. It went this way with us. And so as we finally collect ourselves, I'm like, hey, guys, 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 just act like nothing happened. (laughs) And this car comes up next to us, and they're looking at us with these huge eyes. And the boys and I are like, what's up? I mean, it was like nothing. All that to say, I don't say hold on unless there's a reason to hold on. And the author of Hebrews says, let us hold on. There is a reason you need to be reminded to not waver. These Christians, these Christians at this time have have confessed Christ as the hope of their salvation and they're surrounded by persecution. They're surrounded by hatred, misunderstanding, skepticism. They're frustrated. Many of them are falling to illnesses. Get this, there's even political disagreements at the day. The author says, hold on to the confession of your hope. Not to anything else. Let everything else go so you can use both hands to hold on to Jesus Christ. Drop everything out else. Hold on. Oh, I'm gonna be able to hold on because I'm strong? <laughs> Not even close. You can hold on. Why? Because he... Who promised is faithful. I love that. It has absolutely nothing to do with me, but everything to do with his faithfulness. So because you have this altered relationship through the finished and final work of Jesus Christ, you can go into his presence with great boldness. Because you have this great high priest whose offering will always be enough, then you need to draw near to him. You need to be willing just to hang on with everything you have. And then finally, and most importantly for today, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Because those things are true, you need to keep on growing with God's people. The way it is said, let us watch out for one another. Let us consider one another. Let us intentionally think about one another. Let us be careful to think through for one another. Let's be doing things to actively watch out for one another. We all need to be doing this. Please do not hear for a moment that this is the job of an elder. This is the job of a staff person. This is the job of leadership at the church. No! It's yours. Be the church. Be the church. And I love this. Some of you are really good at it. Let us consider these things. How to what? Provoke. <laughs> you know what that word means, right? It means to irritate. Like I said, some of you are very good at that. Oh, I thought it'd be funny. I'm sorry. That <laughs> happens a lot. But the idea is to provoke, to irritate, to stimulate, to spur on, to agitate, to prod. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Keep your eyes off the road. Wake up. Have you ever driven like that? If you're driven like that, you're driving down the road and it's like, I'm falling asleep. And then I'm like, uh, that's what I'm I'm provoking. I'm irritating. I'm staring up. I'm pinching my leg. I get home. Like, where do those bruises come from? I'm trying to stay awake. And the author of Hebrews says, that's what you need. You need to be considering intentionally with, with creativity ways to provoke, to irritate, to activate. Actions in other people. What kind of actions? Love and good works. Active, compassionate service of other people, particularly those people the world often neglects. Encourage one another on how to serve the, the poor, to serve the, 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 the young, to serve even, might I say, the obnoxious. Do not let them change the way that you are serving. How can I better encourage them, provoke them, spur them on to do better? Let me be clear. This doesn't mean that you get to send an email to us and tell us all your good ideas for how the church should work in the future. This is you being the church. This is you doing these things. You leading by example. You bringing people along with you in a mentoring relationship. That's what it means to irritate someone for the glory of God. Now let me switch it just for a second. Are you receiving that provoking In your life, in your relationships, is somebody encouraging you to love and good works? Are there people in your life who can speak straight, hot truth into your life? Are you humble enough to have people speak this way to you? Has anybody had the opportunity to speak like that with you? No? How could I do that? I'm glad you asked. Verse 25, by not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't ignore the opportunities to gather. You cannot do this provoking or receive this provoking if you are not present. Yes, be in church on Sunday, but that's not the point. (laughs) That's also a very self-serving thing for me to say. This says you need to have perfect attendance in church every Sunday. And, and, and that, that's not, yes, I believe strongly that the, the gathered body of believers is exactly what is meant by this, but it's more than that. It's more important than making sure that there are hundreds of people here on a Sunday so my ego is built. I'm aware of the, the self-serving nature of that comment, and I'm continuing to work on that and pray that, and, and I'd ask you to pray for me as well, pray that God would allow me to continue to find my identity in the fact that I am an adopted child of God who is forever accepted, enjoyed by God himself. My identity is not wrapped up in how many people are sitting in these seats every Sunday. More important than my ego is you being in community with other believers. By serving. Serve in a a little love. Serve in a Sunday school class. Serve in youth group one another. Serve as one of our, our greeters on Sunday morning. Be involved in serving. Be involved in community groups, small groups, just another segue here. Immediately after second service, we have a college community group that is meeting back in the conference room. If you're a college age, we'd love to have you. But but be in a community group, and the way to get into a community group, our easiest on-ramp is to, to start Discover Life, which happens at the beginning of November. Discover Life is our on-ramp to community groups, and so we'd encourage you to be in there. Get, sign up for one of these equipping classes. Now, some of the equipping classes are more training in mind, but some are community, so we'd encourage you that. Here's an amazing one. Young people, teenagers, be in youth group on Wednesday night. Be in youth group. One of my favorite things about youth group is I get to walk in about halfway through or, and, and look, and there are groups of teens all over the sanctuary. And they're being led by men and women who know and love Jesus Christ, pouring into them, provoking them to love and good works. Young people, be a part of that. Individually, you can do this as well. Man, ask an older saint to mentor you. Ask, ask somebody who, is, who has been walking with Christ for an extended period of time. Hey, can we go grab coffee? I just want to ask you questions. And then ask questions. Or, here's a novel concept, ask a younger saint to mentor you. You do know it works both ways, right? There are some young people in this church who thrill my soul and intimidate the fire out of me because they know and love Jesus Christ and they are going to continue to provoke. So, so please, let me tell you to do those things. Now, let, wait, while, while I'm here and I don't have to, I gotta do this. If you're, if you're thinking, man, I, I'm in a group. I'm in a lot of different groups. But I'm not getting any of this. I don't, I don't feel served like any of this. Okay, first, sometimes... And I, I don't want to kick anybody when you're down, but sometimes the problem's in the mirror. Okay, some, some, maybe the group that you're in is just a group of convenience. It's a good old boy club. And so your highest priority is to maintain those relationships and not to call sin out in each other's lives. M- maybe, maybe, you're not as humble as you think you are. And the people in your group are terrified to speak that truth into you. And And probably... Uh, more effectively is by asking the question, I'm not getting any of this. Getting is the word that shows that you're missing the point. Tell me a time in scripture where it tells you you're supposed to get stuff from people. Just one. It's always the opposite. You are supposed to give. So do not ignore the opportunities to encourage As I found it interesting, don't neglect to gather together as some in the habit are doing, but encourage. That the opposite sides of the spectrum, you've got don't neglect the gathering, encourage. So by neglecting the gathering, you are abstaining from the command to encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. That is a phrase. You know Christ is going to return. You know it's sooner today than it was when Hebrews was written? You know that the author of Hebrews is like, it's gonna happen any moment. And yet you and I are like, eh, it might happen. Oh no, no, no. There is a day coming, and our responsibility until that day comes is to be provoking one another to love and good works works, encouraging one another in these things. Because when that day happens, it's gonna be loud. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be bright. But in the meantime, we are foreigners living in a strange, strange land in a strange, strange day. And we need God's people to remind us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, not on anything else. We need to find that encouragement from our family all the more as we see that day on the horizon. Because it's coming. And I'm looking forward to it. Let's encourage each other with the fact that one day soon we're going to see him face to face. Would you pray, Father, thank you for your good word. I thank you that your scripture is so reliable that it, it renews us, it changes us. Father, it instructs us, but it, but it rekindles the light in our eyes even. Father, I thank you that your word is, is more precious to us than the, the purest of gold. Father, I ask that as we stare into your word, your perfect law of liberty and freedom, that we would be reminded that we have freedom because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. God, please, please remind us of that today. God, I ask that as we consider what it means that you're coming soon, I pray, Father, that we would be intentional in encouraging our brothers and sisters. I know there are people who are sitting here right now saying, even now, Lord, right now would be awesome. But I also know that there's people here who are so wrapped up in the things of the world, so wrapped up in their own selfishness that, Father, they are missing the point. So, Lord, use the motivation of the return of Jesus Christ in each of us to speak encouragement and good work words and provoking people to love and good works. May we do that because we do know that one day we're going to look them eye to eye. So, Father, may we live faithful lives. May we celebrate what it is that you've done and that you're going to do its in his matchless and wonderful name i pray amen